0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Come on, happy St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) You know, the the thing about St. Patrick's Day is uh, to some people it doesn't really matter at all. To some people it actually matters a lot. Some people, it's just an excuse to drink, uh, to be honest with you, and and I've seen all those different varieties uh, coming up. You see, uh, my mom was born and raised in Ireland. She came over on the boat right from the old country, and my father's parents both came over on the boat from the old country. So I'm 100% Irish, so in in the tradition I was raised in, St. Patrick's Day was a was a big deal and really what it was is a big drinking festival is what it often turned out to be you know everybody's kind of getting sloppy and I'm like what is this St. Patrick's Day all about come to find out what it was really about the real meaning behind it was St. Patrick was actually captured and sold as a slave uh, before he was St. Patrick um, he was sold as a slave to Ireland in Ireland and in Ireland these people were total pagans that are like Druid early Celtic people Uh, We're total pagans, and so he lived under this crazy environment, and finally one day he gets out, he escapes, and he comes back to uh, the, the arguments between England, Wales, and Scotland, they all try to claim him, and he got trained up in the Lord, he got trained up in the Lord, and he felt the Lord say, go back to that land, to those people, and tell them about me, and he's thinking, wow, these people had me captive over there, I don't know how this is going to go, but he goes over in faith and he's trying to explain to these people who have multiple gods about the living God of the Bible, the true God. And, and he's trying to break through and he's like, okay, so instead of worshiping multiple gods, we should worship three gods. And he's like, no, it's one true God in three persons. And they're like, yes, three gods. And he's like, no, no. And he's trying to explain it to these people. And he's like, Lord, help me get through to these people. They're not seeing it. I'm trying to explain the triune nature of God, the Trinity, and they're simply not seeing it. Sometimes people don't see it very well. And as he's praying, he looks down, the Lord says, right there. And he reaches down and he picks up a shamrock, which has three leaves and one stem. And he's like, guys, look, do you see it? And as they start looking, they're like, oh, we see it now. We see it now. And Ireland changed from a total heathen, pagan, uh, pluralistic nation where they had so many gods and all kinds of crazy things barking at the moon and everything else they were doing over there, the early druids. A lot of your Halloween culture craziness comes from that early culture. You wonder why people walk around looking. It came from that early culture. Uh, and St. Patrick te- teaches them about the Trinity, the triune nature of God. Father, Son, and Spirit make up one true God, Elohim, the plurality of God's nature in a single. God And they finally got it, changed the entire nation. So honestly, St. Patrick's Day should be a day of celebrating um, true faith for Ireland, for a nation that went from total heathen pagan to christ Center. But it ends up being a drinking fest anyway. And I witnessed it growing up. Um, so maybe some of you guys do as well. But that's the meaning behind the day. If someone asks you what the day is all about, or maybe you need to remind them, do you know what this day is really all about? This day is about the Trinity that changed the nation. Amen? The Trinity changed the nation through a shamrock that some people didn't see it at first, and if you look long enough, you go, oh, now I, now I see it. It's kind of like artwork sometimes. You know, you look at artwork, and, and people go, do you see it? Has anybody ever asked you that? Do you see it? How many of you guys do see it? How many of you in the camp that you totally see that? How many of you don't really see it? Okay, I'm like you. I don't really see it. Um, there's certain artwork. They're like, oh, isn't it great? Don't you see it? I'm like, No. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not seeing it. They're like, you don't see it? And I'm like, no. And no. I'm like, do I got to hold my head different? I mean, I don't know what I have to do. I'm, I'm not seeing it. And um, we happen to be uh, blessed with the opportunity to live right next to probably the greatest um, assembly of art on the planet right up here at the Getty Center. The Getty's got some of the greatest pieces of art in the world. In fact, someone has said that the Getty has changed the value of art around the whole world because any piece they want, they can buy it. And that's completely altered valuation of art. So they've got everything up there. When we have family and friends in town, it's not uncommon. Somebody says, hey, can you take us to the Getty? So we'll go up there. And, you know, as you walk through some of these things, looking at some of these pieces, um, you can tell there's some who really appreciate it. They're just staring. They're enamored. And they they see all this stuff. And I don't. Um, I'm looking at a Van Gogh or a a Picasso. And I'm like, yeah, I don't get it. I'm going to move on this way. Um, And they're like, don't you see it? And and you feel like a sinner because they get it. And they're looking at you like, you, like you're some, like some low level. You're like, I'm sorry, guys. I just don't see it. I believe it's the same way in our faith. In our faith. The kingdom of God and things in faith. And sometimes if we see them, we begin to appreciate them. We hold them close to our heart. And we begin to walk it out in faith. But if we don't see it, we just have no appreciation for it. We don't even acknowledge. And that's why Jesus, when he came... He modeled the kingdom of God. He showed us what the realm of God really is like so that we can see it with our own eyes when we read the text of scriptures. Jesus of Nazareth, he comes alive and we're like, I'm beginning to see it. And in case you, 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 you didn't see it in his modeling, then you read the parables and the parables are all these stories where Jesus is sketching out another masterpiece. And it's like, do you see it? And some do see it. And others are like, yeah, I'm still not getting it. Okay, how about this one? And he sketches out another one. He goes, now do you see? And some are like, oh, yeah, now that one I'm beginning to see. Some of you don't have it yet. Let me show you again. And he's doing all these parables explaining the realm of God, the kingdom of God, what God's nature really is. If you ask people, tell me about God's nature, you're going to get 50 different views out there of what God's nature is. And Jesus says, let me tell you what God's nature really is, because those are all counterfeits. Let me sketch it for you. Do you see it? Some people see it. Some people don't see it. He sketches another one. And each time he does it, you're like, yes, it's getting a little clearer every time you sketch a picture of the kingdom. And so today we're in Matthew 22, and Jesus is sketching a picture of the kingdom, and he's doing it with greater clarity for us. And uh, to bring us up to speed a little bit, Matthew 22, you can open your Bible there or read it on your device. However you read it, we'll also have it for 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 the wall today. But Jesus is sharing the kingdom, and he's sharing what the kingdom looks like, the realm of God, the nature of God, it has to do with how do we respond as, as children of God, how do we live, what are our protections, what are the blessings, what are our, um, you know, what does God have for our future, what is expected of us now, who gets in and who doesn't get in and how they get in, all these things are explained in these pictures that Jesus is putting up as the realm of God, do you see it, do you see it, and, and, and hopefully every time we hear these parables we're like, now I'm really starting to see it. Because if you see it, you can walk it out. But if you don't see it, you won't really appreciate it. So to bring us up to speed on today's parable, Jesus told three in a row. Today's the third parable in a row. And the other two go quite simply like this. I'm just going to summarize them. The first one was with two sons. He said the kingdom of God's like this. Two sons are told to go work in a vineyard. And uh, one of the sons says, sure, father, I'll go. And he doesn't go. And the other son says, no, I won't. But he ends up going. And Jesus asks the religious leaders, he says, which one do you think honored the father? And he said, the one who actually went to work in the vineyard honored the father. And Jesus told these religious leaders, he goes, you guys are like the other son. You guys are like the son who was supposed to go in the vineyard, said you would, but never did. And it's a pretty shocking reality. He was saying because of that. The, the realm of God, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you, all this opportunity with the vineyard, and it's going to get, be given to another people, a people who are faithful with it. Talking about the New Testament church, Christians, believers. And so you have been included in the realm of God in this first parable. And some people are like, oh, I see there's a shift going on of God using Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. And Romans 10 says at the end times, he's going to bring them back in. But in the meantime, they really struck out quite a few times. And he's saying, I'm taking the kingdom. He's drawing a picture. Do you see it? He's like, do you see what I'm saying here? And, and if you look close, you like, I think I'm seeing. The, the, the picture says, I'm taking the kingdom away from Israel and giving it to a people who are faithful And that's why the gospel went first to Jerusalem and some accepted it, but many rejected it. And it has spread all through the whole Gentile world. Again, to this day, some Jewish people accept it, praise God. That's what their design is and to know their Messiah, but many others do not. And the gospel has gone to the Gentile world. And that's what the first one, the first one told us. And the cool thing about that parable is Jesus said something very shocking. Israel, understanding the way God works, is clean up your act and get your act very cleaned up, get everything tuned up in your life, and then you'll be in a position in a place to come to God. Now, Israel saw this historically their whole life. This is just simply the way they, they viewed the kingdom of God. And Jesus said in that parable, said something shocking and alarming. He said, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, religious Pharisees, are actually getting into the kingdom ahead of you, now, if you saw that in a picture, you'd be like, well, wait a second. That, I thought you clean up your act and the better you behave, the more you deserve heaven. Seems to make sense in our natural mind. And to the Jewish people, that's the way they sketched it and that's the way they lived it. And Jesus drew a new picture and he said, no, the kingdom is like this. You guys weren't faithful. Another people will be responsible. And secondly, secondly prostitutes and tax collectors are gonna get in ahead of you, which was an alarming, uh, shocking reality. And that simply means... The kingdom of heaven isn't based on those who deserve it. It's based on those who need it, amen? The ones who need forgiveness and recognize it. Those are the ones who get in. So the prostitutes and tax collectors were like, yeah, I I need that. And they're getting in ahead of the religious people who really thought they had it down and they had really good behavior and they deserved it. Jesus said, no, it's being taken away from you. So sometimes that's hard for us to visualize. Sometimes it's hard uh, for us to see. But I want you guys for a moment to picture yourself Picture, excuse me, in your mind, because we're talking about masterpieces. And you can either see it or you don't see it. And if you see it, you appreciate the value. And if you don't see it, you don't appreciate the value. And I want you to understand the summary picture of that parable that Jesus taught. It's quite simply this. Close your eyes for a second and picture, for a minute, just in your mind, however this looks to you. Picture sinners running into the arms of a loving God, because when you're seeing this, you're seeing the kingdom of God. Picture sinners of every diverse nature running into the arms of a loving God. You can open your eyes now, but whatever that picture looks like, when you see that, you are seeing the kingdom. That's better than a Picasso. That's better than the Van Gogh. That's a script that you go, do you see it? And you're like, now that I see beautiful, you are understanding the realm of God. And that's really what that parable was all about. So if you're a note taker this morning, I encourage you to write a few things down because this is what the kingdom of God's all about, how his realm works. The picture Jesus is drawing today has given us a clear picture. We're building on the same conversation. He, he, he shares three parables in a row. And that's why I want to bring us up to speed. So the first one is this. Picture sinners running into the arms of a loving God because that's, that is what seeing the kingdom's all about. And when you see that happen, you go, I'm seeing the kingdom right in front of my eyes. And this helps us get a view of what the kingdom is all about. See, if we think the kingdom's all about me, myself and I, uh, we completely miss it. Because when you read the parables, you'll find out the kingdom of God, the realm of God is not all about me, myself and I. It's about all these things that Jesus is sketching. And this is one of them right here. When you see sinners running into the arms of a loving God, you are seeing the kingdom before you. When you know anyone in your life who is is, is, is living outside of God's love and his forgiveness, uh, and we're all sinners who fall short and need his grace. But when you see a sinner running to the arms of a loving God, right there, that's revival. You are seeing revival in your lifetime, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. That's what Jesus is uh, picturing for us. And so um, we talk about seeing a picture and being able to appreciate it or not. Um, sometimes people see a picture and they're asked, well, what do you see? I don't know, what do you see? I don't know, what do you see? And they're like, I don't know what I see. So pictures are very interpretive sometimes, but we have a picture, uh, and speaking of interpretive art, we're going to put it on the screen. And this picture, when you see it, you, you have one or two reactions to a picture like that. Either a picture like that, well, that's messed up. That's messed up. Because those guys are all out to lunch. They're a bunch of partiers, a bunch of hoodlums, and Jesus doesn't need to be blown to belong anywhere near those people. And they don't deserve to be near Jesus. That's one reaction. Some of you might have that reaction. The other reaction is sinners need a savior and sinners are getting into the kingdom of God before some religious people. And so this is kind of what the early Pharisees saw. Jesus, you're hanging around, there's drunkards and prostitutes and tax collectors. I can't believe you're having a meal with them. And they had no framework. They had no framework in their mind, their view of the kingdom for this. This is a modern-day, you know, illustration. Whether it's accurate or not, we don't know. But the point is, it's interpretive art to show that very picture of sinners getting into the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom is not based on what we deserve. It's based on our need. And sometimes when people are steeped in their sin, they come to terms with their need pretty quickly. I know I did in my life. I trust you did in your life. Um, but, but that's an interpretive piece and you might have two reactions depending on how you see that picture. And I'm just trying to present that to show we look at art and we look at things and we view them different ways. And Jesus is trying to sketch the kingdom for us today. And he just said in the last one, prostitutes and drunkards are getting, tax collectors are getting in ahead of religious people who think the good behavior is what's going to get them in. Now, listen, how many of you know the Bible says, uh, models to us, you come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. Amen. Amen? Amen? This is important because this is the kingdom of God. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. You come as you are, meaning it doesn't matter what you've done or where you're from. It really doesn't. And, and this is a part religious people have a problem because I could see the kingdom for these people, but not those ones because categorically their behavior is extreme and it doesn't seem very redeemable, but that's not the heart of Jesus at all and that's not the heart of God at all. Everyone is redeemable. So you come as you are and then when you're in the presence of the living God, he is saying, turn and follow me, right? Jesus said that to everyone. He actually walked up to them and said, turn and follow me. And there is the moment of truth where people have to make this monumental decision in life, the life decision of a lifetime. Will I turn and follow him or not? So it's not that Jesus spent his whole life hanging out at the table with a bunch of sinners, but he would go to their house and he would have a, a meal with them and a conversation with them. And he didn't come back every night to um, do shots with them or whatever's in the picture, but he did say, turn and follow me, right? And so people had the choice at the table to get up and turn and follow or not. So you come as you are, but we don't stay as we are because Jesus is tuning us up along the way. It's called sanctification, and that is the process. Uh, the second parable, real quick, to bring us up to speed, and I'm gonna move pretty quickly here, is, is, a, is a parable that we just read last week of a landlord who owns a vineyard, and he expects the tenants, the tenants in the vineyard, which is Israel, to share in the harvest, like, go out in the vineyard, talking about people that he loves, the souls that he loves, and help point people towards me. And this is, this is the harvest, and be engaged in it and do it for my glory. And that's what the parable, quite simply, was about. And Israel was the tenant, because they didn't know in the vineyard, God did, but they were not doing any of that. And so in the story, that's again where we see, excuse me, this is the clarity where he says, I'm taking the vineyard from them, and I'm giving it to another So I want you to just, if you could for a second, have another picture in your mind. If you close your eyes for just one second, because this interpretive art is your interpretive art. Um, The picture uh, that I want you to just imagine for a second is, is picture God smiling on you as you share your love for his son with somebody. You sharing your love with his son, Jesus, with somebody. And the father is just beaming, smiling on you while you're doing it. You got that picture and we can open our eyes right now. That's important because that is the kingdom of God. That's an interpretive piece of art that Jesus said in the scripture that when you go in the vineyard, they're not doing it, so I'm sending you. And this is what the father wants, It what makes them smile. In fact, scripture says when one sinner repents, there's a celebration in heaven, just one. So when you're sharing your love of Jesus with somebody else, the father is smiling on you. And now we're starting to see, oh, this is what the kingdom looks like. And Jesus is explaining uh, these Now, when, it's, when we talk about doing the work of the kingdom and stepping into the vineyard and, and, and following through on this realm of God, the kingdom of God, and what it looks like, um, there are many different ways that people tend to uh, model their love for God or share their witness with the world around them. Um, some by do it by simply sharing the good news, literally the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, you know, Jesus died for our sins and sin separates us from God. He loves you so much. He paid a price you can never pay. But when you come to him, we turn and follow him. And he, if you ask him, he'll take away everything you've ever done, past, present, and future, and secure your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and put his spirit in you here and now on earth so you can live with purpose and destiny, abundant life here and now and later. And they present the gospel. And that is, that is the marvelous. That's like a grand slam approach. However, that's not the only way. Some people share their testimony. Uh, they might not be good at explaining the gospel, but they could say, let me just tell you what happened in my life, okay? I was living like this. I had this encounter with God. At least I sense God calling me to change my ways and follow him. I did, and this is what God's done in my life. And there's a, a before Christ and a transition and an after Christ encounter, and you explain that, and that is an amazing way of sharing faith with people. Other people are not really great at speaking things out, and they just, uh, I'm just going to love on people, and eventually they'll know that I'm a Christ follower. And, Uh, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Amen. Um, So this is powerful too. All great ways of sharing love. Other people, it's serving. When you serve people, they're like, what compels you to serve and like help like that? Well, you know, Jesus modeled this for us, and that's why we do it. So when we share the gospel, share our testimony, love people, serve people, these are all remarkable ways of witnessing and sharing your faith. However, There is one that we often miss out on, and it's monumentally important, it's incredibly powerful, and that's exactly what today's parable is about. Jesus is sketching a parable today based on the realm of God, the kingdom of God, the picture of what it looks like, and he's talking today about the one that we often don't do or the power of this monumentally important one that is so effective and it changes so many lives, but we don't always step into this one. And this, quite simply, is the power of invitation, would you say that with me? The power of? One more time. The power, the power of invitation. Jesus is going to talk about all about invitation. He's drawing a masterpiece today. It's all about invitation. And he's going to go, do you see it? This is the kingdom of God. Do you see it? And some people are like, no. And other people are like, I'm getting to see it. My prayer today is that we get to see what Jesus is presenting in uh, the power of invitation. Because you and I get to people, get to invite people into things. Not by all of our words or all of our service, just by inviting people to, when they encounter God and they encounter his love, uh, you're going to see lives transformed. And a lot of times it comes simply through your invitation or mine. Uh, this is so overlooked. Let's look at this passage, Matthew chapter 25. We're looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning, and it, we're going to look at it in sections. And it, it goes like this. Uh, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off One to his field and another to his business. Now, this passage right here is God the Father, the realm of God. If you want to know what it looks like, here's a summary, a sketch by Jesus. This masterpiece, this is what it looks like. The Father is preparing this epic, monumental wedding banquet. And it's off the chart. You can't even describe it. No eye has seen or ear has heard or heart's imagined what God has in store for those who love him. You can't even describe how monumental it is. But it's when we transition from this life into eternity, it starts with this blow up celebration that would just just like be incredibly amazing. And here's the thing about this celebration I want to say from the beginning. When you're at that table and we can't explain it exactly, it says in Revelations 9:19, 9, 9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. The Bible talks more about this celebration in other Uh, parts of the Bible, but I just want to say this about it. It's such a monumental celebration. It's so epic. It's so, it it, it completely, your future is entirely different. If If you get to sit at that table, if you get to sit at the table, you will have a completely different future. If you don't get to sit at that table, you will have a different, completely different future. Can I just suggest something? Everyone you care about in your life, All your friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, all the people you care at, you're going to want them at that table, amen? No, no, listen, you're going to want them at that table. You're going to really want them at that table. You're not going to want them to miss this banquet. And the Father's heart is exactly that. I want everyone at this table. And you're going to see it in the parable right now. It's a monumental thing. It's not just some little story about, this is the kingdom of God, the realm of God. It's what it looks like. It's who gets in and what happens and who doesn't get in. You want everyone you know at this wedding banquet. So Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And there's going to be this great reunion the Bible talks about, a massive celebration. Um, And God the Father wants everyone there. How many of you know God so loved the whole world? Everyone say the whole world. That's why he sent his son, because he loves the whole world, and he wants the whole world at the table. And the father's table is big enough, and his house is big enough. Amen? He wants the whole world there. How many of you know whosoever? Everyone say whosoever. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever. God's got a big table and a big house, and he wants everyone at this celebration. That's what we we know about this passage. So we we share the gospel, and we serve people, and we love people, but, but there's also this amazing power we're seeing in this passage. Of invitation, because this story today is all about a 100% invitation. That the kingdom, the realm of God, comes by invitation. Yes, we share the gospel. Yes, we share our testimony. Yes, we serve people. We love people. But invitation is so massively right in the middle that without an invite, some people don't get an invite to the table. And you're thinking, well, I wish they did. Well, who gave it to them? Did they get an invite? Well. Uh, no, I guess they didn't get an invite. Well, this is why it's so important. The power of invitation is so important. So if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write this one down this morning. It's our third point. Is God is calling me to use the power of invitation. He's calling you to really up, whatever, wherever invitation is in your life, maybe move it up. He's, he's drawing a picture of the kingdom. It's like, here's a Picasso, here's a Van Gogh. Do you see this one? It's a Monet. And you, and you go, do you see it? And Jesus is like, this is better because those ones are going to burn in the end. They're not going to last. Everything is going to fade away. But my word will last forever. Jesus says, do you see this one? The kingdom of God comes by invitation. It is epically powerful. You want everyone at the table. So use the power of invitation. This whole parable is about invitation. So some respond and say yes. Praise God for that. They respond and say yes. But some refused. Some just flat out refused. Some might refuse us. Some ignored. Some are too busy with their business. You talk to people, oh, I can't on Sundays. I work on Sundays. I do this on Sundays. I do that. So whatever it is, it's like coming to God's house, being in the realm of God, being around God's community, all that stuff. I can't because of a million reasons. That's fine we got a million reasons, but I'm just saying in this passage, they had a million reasons too. You either accept the invitation or you don't. We don't take ownership of that. We can't take that overly personal, but we got to use the power of Of invitation. Now, in this time in the Bible, when the Jewish people were the religious party of Israel, they were very zealous against Christ and the Christ followers. Jesus was presenting the kingdom in a light that they did not understand. They didn't want to embrace it. Some of them did. Some of the Pharisees were in the early church, but many others did not. And because of this, there was hostility. Even the apostle Paul, as you know, when he was called Saul, was involved in the persecution of the early church. So this... This is starting to get heightened right now. And Jesus in this parable right here, historically, timeline, we see Jesus goes to the cross within the week of sharing this parable. So it's building and building and building. And so uh, there's a prophetic passage that Jesus shares right now because now they're starting to mistreat the messengers we're going to see, the ones that are simply inviting. They're inviting people to Jesus and they started to mistreat them. And so Jesus shares this passage because this passage is about to come. To fruition within about a week after Jesus shares this. It says in verse six, so some, some said they're busy, some ignored, some said they're too busy with their business. And then verse six, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Again, this is a prophetic passage. The early Christ followers were inviting people To come to know Jesus, this is what they were doing. And many were, in fact, mistreated and seized, and some were killed. They're just trying to invite them to the wedding. If you know Jesus, you're coming to the wedding. Come to Jesus. When you meet him, you're getting in on the wedding. So let me just get you to Jesus. If I could somehow get you to Jesus, you're in on this epic wedding and everything that goes with it. So let me get you around him somehow, some way. Let me just get you in the presence of Jesus, and you will be forever changed. And so some were seized and mistreated and killed. The book of Acts says the apostle Stephen, not the apostle, but Stephen, a leader in the early church, was one of the very first ones who was martyred for his faith, just simply trying to give the invitation, just trying to invite people. The apostle Paul was beaten, stoned, and imprisoned just for trying to invite people. The other apostles, all except for the apostle John, we know from church history, were all martyred a martyr's death just for trying to invite people. And the city of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, just like Jesus said, because Israel did not recognize the time of their visitation, and they stoned and killed people who were just trying to invite them. You see how that works? This is a prophetic passage, very, very powerful. We we live in a time and day, you don't get stoned and beaten for trying to invite people. We don't get, we live in this, there's some opposition and hostilities, but I will tell you, uh, we live in a pretty free world where you can make an invitation And you and I don't take the ownership of the response. It's not up to us. But we know there's an epic celebration that will change every... We want all our friends and family at the table. And you and I stepping into the power of invitation, the way this is modeling the kingdom, is so important. And and so the early church tried to do it as well in a very hostile environment. But guess what? They didn't stop. They continued in the power of invitation. And when the city was destroyed, the gospel spread all over the known empire... And the kingdom of God just went exponentially, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands getting in because they continued in the power of invitation. It was really awesome. So verse eight goes on this way, and it says this. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out on the streets and gathered all the people they could find. The bad as well as the good. Would you say that with me? The bad as well as. It's kind of shocking. Again, with that picture, we read that and go, I don't know if I want the bad as well as the good. This is our thinking. Jesus is like, invite them all. The bad as well as the good. Um, Bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man, there was one man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless, then the king told his servants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are Chosen. Let's break this one down. So imagine God uh, inviting, preparing this wedding feast that is monumental, that is epic. It's the eternal launch. It's the launch into eternity uh, where there's going to be wiping of every tear from our eye and people don't age and we're not limited by all these time and space and what we know in part we will fully know. I mean, it's a whole nother realm. It's going to be incredible that no one can imagine. It starts with this epic celebration and the Father is putting together a celebration of a lifetime and While he's doing it, sending out invitations, and many are not coming. Ouch. That would hurt. Um, So God says, would go out and invite anybody you can find. The ones I wanted to send at first said no. Sent them an invitation, they said no. Sent people out to remind them audibly, hey, you got a reservation. You are going to come, right? And most didn't come. So the good servants, it says in the passage, went out and gathered all the people they can find, the good as well as the bad, And God's wedding hall was filled with guests. And then there's one man, there's one man who somehow gets into the feast, but he didn't have on wedding clothes. How many of you know the scripture says that through Jesus, we are clothed in righteousness? You know that? So that's a righteousness, not our own. This is the thing about good and bad people. We look at them and we think spiritually, this is how they're clothed. They're clothed in good things or they're clothed in bad things. But the scripture is saying uh, that we don't get to heaven by our good works. It's not by our clothes. It's not by our looks. It's not by our outward appearance, even our good works. That we are clothed in righteousness, that Jesus imparts a righteousness to us that we never had on our own. doesn't matter how good your behavior is. You still need his righteousness. Amen. So this guy in the passage is showing someone who thinks they have a way to get into heaven on their own. I don't need the gospel, I don't need God's way, I don't need a word of God. I got my own way to heaven, and I guarantee you have friends and family members and neighbors who think that they can get to heaven on their own. They think their good outweighs their bad, right? So many. I do more good than bad, so I'm getting in, okay? I don't want to hear anything else. I do more good than bad, so I'm getting in. This guy in the story thought the same thing. And we come to find out that that's not exactly how it works. In fact, this guy, no matter what he thought he did in life, it was obvious by his clothes he wasn't clothed in righteousness through Jesus Christ. Everyone else has been clothed because of what Jesus did. We're washed clean and he transforms and renews us. And, and we need that, we need that uh, provision of Jesus. So this guy, um, he doesn't have on those clothes and he's trying to get to heaven and his clothes are still dirty. And, and obviously the, uh, the Lord is saying, how would you get in here? Look at your clothes. Obviously, you have not had the provision of my son obviously, I don't care what you think you did or didn't do, you have—you don't have the provision. And the guy's looking like, yeah, I don't know your son. I never knew him and I never followed him. Obviously, that's why he looks at the master speechless. He's got nothing to say, and he's cast out. Now, he has a different future. How many of you know hell is real? It's a doctrine of the Christian faith. It's orth- orthodoxy. There are sections of Christianity today that don't want to believe. They don't have a hard time with the principle, the concept. So therefore... They try to conform God into their image and go, oh, God wouldn't sell anybody to hell, and hell isn't. Look, the Bible talks a lot about heaven, talks a lot about hell. There's a reality that when we check out of this life, it's appointed unto man once to die. Everyone say once. And then the judgment, once. Just once. Only once. We don't get to come back. We don't get do-overs. This life is one big do-over, amen? We get a lot of do-overs in this life, but after that, there's no more do-overs, and and this guy you know, has this choice to be at this celebration that's epic, or he has this other alternate reality, and, and it's a choice for him. So the summary on this passage is why some people don't come. You've noticed all through this story, it's about an invite. It's an invite. I want people to come, and some are like, yeah, no, I'm ignoring, or uh, just no, or just I'm too busy, and other people are like out on the street going, yeah, I, I need Jesus's provision. Yeah, and so it's a whole story of invite, and who comes and who doesn't come, but Specifically, the summary of who doesn't come, I want to highlight in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, 14, which we, we have for the screen, hopefully. Um, many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Would you say that with me? Many are invited, but few are chosen. Um, this passage has been kicked around a while, and people try to come to a deeper understanding of what he's talking about. Context is always key. We're talking about a context of people, who were invited, this in this whole story, this is a summary, it's the punchline of the whole story. It's the center of the picture, if you will, that many are invited, but few got in. We saw the invite go, the reminder go out, and a lot of people just rejected and didn't come anyway. So the Lord's saying, the Father's saying, go out into the streets, keep finding people until finally you get enough people to respond to my invitation because I want my my table, my house to be full. So what this is saying is many, uh, another translation says many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, The Greek word means many are really called and invited, both called and invited. Remember the story in this passage, they got an invitation and they weren't responding. So the father also sent someone out to tell them too. You didn't just get an invitation. You got somebody knocking on your door or calling you saying, you got the invite, right? You're going to come, right? So there's a Calling an invitation, that's what this word really means in the Greek, that they were called and invited, essentially, to God's table. But, but many are called, but few. The word mean, few doesn't mean three. The word few means a whole lot less than the amount of people called. It's a proportionate thing. All these massive people, all these people are called, but proportionally compared to them who responded to the invitation, it is few in comparison to this mega amount that is called. That's what he's, what he's saying. Um, Basically, what he's saying is those who respond to the invitation end up becoming the chosen. This is important because everyone's got a different view in Scripture. Well, there's a couple of views floating out there of what the Bible refers to as election. Everyone say election. Election is simply this idea of who's God choosing and who is he not. Is it open to everyone? And I believe when you look at your full balanced view of Scripture because uh, scripture interprets scripture, that we see that uh, God loved the whole world that he sent the son. He didn't love a few and send his son. He loved the whole world. And whosoever calls on him, not just certain people who were born uh, with, with a future dictated for them, but whoever calls on him, the good, the bad, the ugly, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. If you recognize your need for a savior and say yes, boom, you become the elect of God. That's what scripture says. It's kind of like this. Uh, if, if God wants you to run for office, God wants you to run for office, say he wants you to run for the school board or the city council, um, and he sends you an invite. You've got to respond to the invite. Maybe you didn't respond to the invite, so you get some sort of knock on your door or call from God saying, hey, I invited you, I'm calling you, okay? Are you going to run or not? Now, if you don't run, you will never be elected, amen? Does this make sense? If you don't run, if you don't say yes, you will never get elected for sure. God is saying, if you say yes, you will for sure be elected. Because God in his sovereign power says, I am looking for the elect, the chosen. And this is what this is talking about. Many are invited, but few are chosen. I'm inviting the whole world, but if they'll say yes to my invitation... I am promoting them to the elect of God, the chosen, the called out ones, the ecclesia. That's what the church is, the called out ones. I'm calling everyone to this. But still today, many go, yeah, I'm busy. I got stuff to do and I got, you know, I'm all about my business over here. And no, I don't have time for that. Or I'll I'll get to heaven my own way. And God's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. It works like you're chosen and I'm inviting you and I'm calling you. You either accept or you don't. And if you do, you become the elect. And that's really what's going on with the story, it's the same with us. I would say, thank God we got invited. Amen? Thank God we got invited. Because, family, you are the elect of God. You are the elect of God, and you have a place at the table if you're in Christ today. And it's because you got invited somehow, some way, and you said yes. And getting elected is a big promotion into eternity, uh, and it's, it is amazing. Um, so God is still extending his invitation. But listen, he extends the power of invitation through through you and through me. That's the point. He still extends invitation and calling people to be the elect and be at the table, but he does it through you and me. Think about this for a second. Andrew in the Bible, John chapter one, Andrew invited Peter and it changed Peter's life. He just said, come, you got to meet. I don't have to explain. It. Just come this way. And Peter comes, meets Jesus, his life is forever changed. That's in John chapter one, verse 40. Philip turns around and invites Nathaniel. Yeah, you got to meet the one. He didn't even explain, let me explain the gospel to you. Let me tell you my testimony. He didn't even do those. They're all awesome. They're all important. They're very powerful. Continue in those. But he just said to Nathaniel, you know, what, buddy, you've got you to meet the Lord. I'm, I'm, the Lord? What do you mean the Lord? Ah, ah, ah. And Nathaniel's like, nothing good comes out. He's got all his issues. Nathaniel's got every complaint. and excuse. Dude, just, just come and meet him. Just come. And Nathaniel comes. His life changes on a dime. Because he was invited, and Jesus is the one who changes. How many of you know we don't change lives? Jesus changes lives. That's the beauty. That's why we invite people into the presence of the one who changes lives. Um, And then there's so many. the, The Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus is talking to her. Jesus reads her mail, so to speak. And the lady's like, oh, my goodness, I met the Savior. She didn't go back and have to tell the whole town everything. She went back and told the entire town in John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 4 says, guys, you got to meet the one that I just met. All I'm, I, I don't have words. You just have to meet. The whole town, through the power of invitation, comes out to meet Jesus. And the whole town is changed. Because Jesus changes people. Amen? All through the power of invitation. So many of them. Matthew, the tax collector, he meets Jesus. And the first thing he does is, I'm inviting everybody I know to my house for a party. It kind of looks like that picture you saw earlier. Where everything's like, what, that crew? And the Pharisees are like, what's he doing in the house with all those crazy people? But Matthew's like, all I know I met Jesus, I gotta invite all my friends to meet Jesus. And a lot of these people's lives change. Cornelius in the book of Acts hears of Jesus and says, I'm inviting all my family, everyone in my extended family to come and hear the message of Jesus Christ. And all of them got changed and got baptized. It's amazing. So you've got to use your God-given power of invitation. You have the God-given power of invitation, but you've got to use it. And you've got to start by people inviting people into God's house. Um, the Bible says where two or more are gathered, God is present. There's something about the house of God. Ultimately, we want to invite people to Jesus, yes, but historically, people have invited people into the assembly. Why? Because when we gather together, God is in our midst. When we gather together, God's word is declared. When we gather together, people understand prophecy. God's speaking to my heart, and this is real for me. And I gotta, God's engaging me today and uh, through worship and adoration as his spirit is invited into this room because he inhabits the praises of his people, that just being in the presence of God that way, people like God is here and he's getting my attention. When we invite people to church, we're inviting people to Christ. And this is a great avenue. So I want to encourage you guys to start using your power of invitation. In fact, uh, if I could ask um, the ushers in the back, we have these invite cards and they should be on that back table. Uh, and what, if, what I want to ask you guys to do this morning, guys, is take a few of these. Take three, four, five. I want you to prayerfully put, put a, a couple in your wallet or a couple in your door. And as you just pray through the week, just see who God is saying, psst, psst, give them one. Might be the girl at Trader Joe's. might be your gardener. I don't know. It might, could be anybody. I don't know your friend, somebody you know at the gym. But I want you to encourage us. Everyone take a few. Just put it in your wallet or your purse or put it in your car and just go. I don't know where these invites go, but I want to encourage you to do that. How many of you guys know that Easter Sunday is coming up soon? How many of you know that it's the greatest day of response of anyone historically that they will come to God's houses on what day? It's on Easter. If they'll come one time, they're going to come on Easter. I want to encourage you to do that. Um, Because when people come to God's house, uh, they're among God's family, and that changes them. When people come to God's house, they're among God's word, and God's word changes them. When people come to God's house, they're touched by God's spirit, and God's spirit changes people. They hear God's invitation on their own lives. They respond to the invitation of a lifetime. Oftentimes, they do that, make that decision in church. Not everybody, but oftentimes, that decision is made here at church. Um, so that they too might become the chosen of God and sit at the table with you in eternity. That's really what's going on. Uh, but listen, some, some stay silent and some never enter. Love God, but stay silent and never enter into the power of invitation. And I'd like you to write this fourth point, this down, because this applies to those who don't. The parable is all about invite. All of my servants, all my sons and daughters, go invite, go invite, go invite. Go invite. Please, just fill my table Everyone do it. And some, I love you, God, but they don't invite. And, and I believe this, uh, this fourth point is a key one for us to take to heart. But many are called. Excuse me, many are, I shouldn't say but. Many are called, but few are frozen. Many are called, but few are frozen. And it's just a word play on what Jesus said, because it is a reality of, yes, we're called, yes, we're elect, yes, we'll be at the table, yes, you said make us fishers of men, yes, go make disciples but I'm frozen and I'm not sharing the gospel and I'm not sharing my testimony and even this invite thing, I'm not, that's frozen. And Jesus would like to give us his power, his presence, a courage and a boldness to break out of that thing because this is what sons and daughters do. That's why he sketched this picture. This is what the sons and daughters of God do. They invite people to the table of the Lord. That's what we do. We invite people to the Lord's table. You and I don't share. Right. Redeemed people help redeem people, forgiven people, help people to forgiveness. People who have have drank and seen that God is good, take, bring other people to to water. Amen. Um, in fact, Isaiah 55 says this, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what it does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. In other words, come, it's free. God's got a spread for you that will satisfy, and the world doesn't know it. And it's free, and God says, tell them to come. God's invitation, have them come to my table. Have them taste and see that the Lord is good. See, you can't make people taste and see, and neither can I. But the Lord can if we just invite them. Let them taste and see for themselves if the Lord is good. That's what this is really about. So we get to offer people, when you hand them an invite, you're offering them what truly satisfies, amen? Truly satisfies That's what an invitation is. I'm just offering you what truly satisfies. You don't have to change anybody. You don't have to convince anybody. That's not our job. Let me offer you what truly satisfies. Um, Matthew 11:28 says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Uh, he's saying, look, I, Jesus is looking at people going through life, carrying loads they can't carry. Their knees are buckling, and they're trying to get through life with these loads. And he's like, I didn't make you for that, but you're never going to find relief from those burdens in this world because this world simply doesn't offer relief from the burdens. Of course, the sin burden is the monumental debt, but there's uh, weight, but there's all kinds of other burdens that people carry that Jesus died on the cross for. And he's like, come to me. If you're weary, you've got to have reload. So all you and I are doing is we're offering people, giving them an invitation to to, to take their weight away, to take their burdens away, and come to the ones who's the one who relieves them of all their weight. That's what Jesus says. Come to me. They're going to find rest. They're going to find peace. So we get to offer the Prince of Peace. Would you like to meet the Prince of Peace? Can I tell you, when I came to faith, the attraction for me wasn't my sin removal at first, because I didn't think I was that bad of a person. That's not why I stepped into a church I didn't say, I'm a sinner and I need to find a place to get rid of my sin. Let me find a church. that I, can. I did, That's not what I did. Uh, what I did is, I need peace in my life. I had a lot of stuff. Had money, had cars, boats, you know, Corvette. Had, had stuff in bands, big equipment. You know, I had stuff, but I didn't have peace. And I'm like, where am I going to get it? I think God can give peace. That's all I knew. So I was looking for a church because I was looking for the peace of God. And along the way, because I got an invite, I came and I met the Prince of Peace, amen? And when I met the Prince of Peace, there's a lot of good news in the book, by the way, and the fact that he's the Prince of Peace is part of the good news. I met the Prince of Peace. And in encountering the Prince of Peace and growing with the Prince of Peace and reading the word of the Prince of Peace, I began to realize other things in my life like my own sin nature and my sin debt and that I need to turn and follow and get baptized. I didn't know that. That's not what I came for. I came for the Prince of Peace, Jesus is saying, come to me all who you're weary and have a heavy load. I'll give you rest, you know? And uh, told the, w- the woman who was about to get stoned to death, man, I'm not gonna judge you, sin no more, but I'm not, ju-. she's like, wow, I found somebody who doesn't condemn me. Yep, yeah, someone who doesn't condemn you. Someone is telling you to go out and get the good and the bad. Even the bad, look, yes, the good and the bad. Okay, and they're gonna find someone who doesn't condemn them. And it's just amazing what we get to invite people into. We get to offer freedom to those carrying burdens, We get to offer living water to those who are thirsty. We get to offer peace to those who simply have none. And our evangelism, guys, does not have to be as difficult as we make it because sometimes our evangelism is is as simple as extending an invitation. It's that simple. It's not that complicated. And that's why some don't share their faith. Well, what if they ask me, what if this? And And, and sometimes there's a fear of wondering what would I say or what would I do? Listen, that's really not it. If you've met Jesus, just tell somebody, I'm, I don't know, but you've got to meet the one I met. That's all. I'm encouraging you to come. Taste and see for yourself. That's not hard to do. This is the picture Jesus draws. This is what he's calling us into. This is the realm of God. Jesus sketched this picture of invitation today and the power of it. And the fact is when people are invited and respond, they get to be at the banquet, which is epic, and people that don't miss out eternally on this monumental future and you want everyone you know at it, and and unless we see the picture clearly, we won't go, wow, I better start inviting, because this is serious, like legitimate opportunity, but sometimes we don't see the picture, and we walk around this one. That's in fact what the Great Commission is, guys. The Great Commission is simply, God is inviting us to join him in inviting people to come and meet his son, amen? This is the Great Commission in a nutshell. God is inviting us, to invite others to meet his son. Because when people meet his son, they will hear his words too, turn and follow me. And they will have a choice. And if they do, this is the road of discipleship where they get developed and they grow strong and they begin to replicate in their faith because they start walking with Jesus. But our main role is to be fishers of men. God, I am going to partner with you in inviting people. You've historically used human instruments. You can call anybody anytime. You can call them in their sleep. You can... Give them a dream, you can do anything, but you've often used people like you and I to extend an invite and encourage people into the presence of God to meet the son. That's really important. There's a national survey that was done that shows 83% of people who've ever come to church came by invite. Not just, yeah, I think I woke up one day with a good idea, maybe I'll go to church. That's very small amount, or people who stumbled in, or maybe they were offering a program I wanted to check out. That's very, very small 83% 83% is because someone invited them. Uh, and based on a national survey, uh, 82% of the non-church people, everyone you know in this city, in this town, 82% of people who don't go to church said that they would come to church with a friend or a relative if invited. Would you say if invited? 82% would if invited. And you know what the greatest day that they would come on? This is all, this is all just facts and realities and stats of the nature of people spiritually and how they engage. So 82% come by invite. Uh, 83% come by invite. 82% of the non-church would come if a friend invited them. And it's even way higher for a day like Easter. It's way, way higher. So many, um, many people you know, I just want to leave you with this visual. If I can sketch one for you. I'm not a very good artist that way. I like different art, but drawing isn't my wheelhouse. But if I could draw one last picture for you today... It's, it's a serious picture, but it's a powerful picture. Many people you know and love and care about, many of them, are one invitation away from eternal life. Many are one invitation away from eternal life. Eternal life's waiting there for them, but they're one invitation away. Maybe they'll accept yours, maybe they won't. Maybe they're going to hear someone else's, they'll accept that. Maybe they won't. Maybe they're going to hear an invitation five or seven times. We talked a couple weeks ago that most people hear the gospel of it about seven times before they respond to it. Uh, I don't know which one's yours would be, but I, I can just tell you so many people are just one invitation away. The question is, will you invite them? Will you step into that place and say, the Lord wants you at his table. You don't have to use those words, but saying God's got a hope and a future for you. And it begins with Jesus, and I don't know what you think about Jesus or you think about the church or you think about, but can I just invite you to come and taste and see? That's all, taste and see. And people will likely say, if you invite them, especially to something like Easter, they would say yes. Sometimes you invite them, they don't come, but a month or two later, they finally go, yeah, I'll come. But listen, guys, if we don't get people to taste and see that the Lord is good, how will they ever know? That's why the Bible says, blessed are the feet that carry the good news. When you and I represent God, especially when we partner with God's invitation, we're going to see radical things happen and radical transformation uh, come. And so I just want to uh, close in prayer right now. If the worship team would come up, that would be great. Um, But remember, so many people you know are one invitation away from eternal life. And at that table, your last picture, think about who you want to see at the table. You're going to see the king of kings. It'll be a wedding feast with the bride. But think of who you want to see at that table. And let's, as citizens of heaven, as children of God, let us be mindful of this picture Jesus painted for us where we go, yeah, there's a lot of people I want to see at that table. And I'm going to step into it by faith, the power of invitation. Mighty God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. Uh, We just pray this morning, God, that you would seal in our heart. You showed us what the realm of God looks like, the realm of heaven, the realm of life with you. some of the amazing uh, things that you have in store for those who love you that are beyond what we can imagine. Uh, But Lord, I pray as your children that we would in fact step into, step into um, this reality, the power of invitation, God, that so many people we know are just one invitation away from eternal life. And I pray, God, that you would give us the boldness this morning. Give us the boldness this morning to to share your invitations, God. Share your invitations. Show us how to invite, when to invite, but show us, Lord, get, I pray we would not be the frozen chosen God. I pray we wouldn't go, I believe, but I'm not doing anything. I'm going believe I'm not opening my mouth. I'm not, I believe, but I'm not testifying. I believe, but I'm not even at least handing an invitation. God, call us into this. This is part of what we're made for, God. I pray we'd invite people to your presence, that they would fall in love with your son, Jesus, that they ter- too might turn and follow and have this abundant life. God, we love you for that. And I just want to ask as the worship team is just playing in the background. Um, I don't know if everybody here today has made that decision with definition. The decision to say, yes, I'm saying yes to King Jesus. I'm getting off the throne and I'm putting him on it. And I want to be at that wedding feast of the lamb. I don't want to be like that guy who's like in there and thinks he's getting in with his own clothes because we find out your own clothes won't get you in. And um, Jesus is saying, come, taste and see, come and drink. I have living water for you. And Uh, This is not something we gravitate towards and we slide into the kingdom. This is a definitive decision where we step over the line where you say, I'm getting off the throne and I'm making you the king of my life. And when you do that, this is where you step into relationship with God. So I just want to ask everyone's eyes closed, head bowed. If you just would raise your hand, I want to agree with you in prayer. If there's anyone this morning who wants to make that commitment with Christ, we might have a room full of believers meeting. That would be great. But is there anyone this morning who is ready. Amen. The Lord seems pleased with you. The Lord is pleased. Anybody else this morning who is ready to step into um, relationship with God in a committed sense? Anybody else this morning that's calling? That God's calling you by name? Amen. The Lord's pleased. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else this morning? This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.